This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. So happy uh, end of February, everyone. It's almost March. Um, I know that I have been lax in what I have stated I was going to be doing. Um, I know that I said that I would be reviewing each of the episodes of The Outsider, and I have not done that. And I know that I said I'd be talking about Lock and Key, which, sorry, I haven't even watched yet. So I, I know that I've lost some... Uh, some cred uh, by, by saying that. I, so I do apologize. I'll get around to it uh, eventually, I'm sure. But just uh, other things have been coming up. I've been reading a lot of John Connolly again. I was like three or so books behind. And it's just been a pleasure to uh, catch up in the world of, of Charlie Parker and Angel and Lewis and the not gods and he who hides behind the glass and the collector and, and every all of the, the, the crazy cast of characters that exists within the world of uh, John Connolly. So, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of actual reading, um, which I've really enjoyed. So what this episode is going to be uh, is a pretty big announcement that I have. And that announcement is going to have to wait uh, because first I have some iTunes uh, reviews that I would like to read because as I've stated many, many times before in the past, I can't do it without you. Uh, I And um, the, the more you can leave a review on iTunes, the more it helps me out. So I have uh, from just another constant reader who writes five stars. Having been a Stephen King fan for most of my reading days, it's refreshing to hear another enthusiast enthusiast's perspective on this great author's works. It's true that I don't always see eye to eye with all of the opinions shared, but that's part of what makes this podcast great. The very insightful and well-researched opinions offer a new perspective into books that I've treasured. Admittedly, the furry co-host was at first distracting, who I'm sure you can hear scrabbling around uh, beside me. But now I look forward to hearing the snoring little guys in the background as my favorite books are tastefully deconstructed. I say the podcast is a must for anyone who thinks themselves a fan of Stephen King. Just another constant reader. Thank you so much. Um, and then we have from Jay Stovall, who writes, Five Star Review Serves the Beam. Great podcast centered on all things Stephen King. After reading a King book or watching a film based on his work, I don't feel the experience is completely complete until I listen to the accompanying podcast that goes with it. The only very small gripe is that my OCD kicks in and I wish he had reviewed Stephen King's complete collection. But I do have some great news. After speaking with Mr. Stephen King cast over Instagram, he's agreed to go back and review Blaze and the Colorado Kid if his fan base can get him up to 500 iTunes reviews. I know that we can do it, and hopefully this gets selected to read on the cast to spread the word. I'm doing my part. Everyone do theirs. Long days and pleasant nights to you and every constant reader. So, Jay Stovall, thank you so much for the review. Thank you so much for trying to get me up to 500 reviews. And, yeah. Um, I have long admitted that uh, um, my mission statement is not technically accurate because I have not reviewed The Colorado Kid and I have not reviewed Blaze. Um, just in, in my quest to complete uh, the books, I purposefully skipped over those two. Um, but I am willing to go back. And so the 500 reviews looks pretty good. So if you want to hear my thoughts on Colorado Kid and Blaze, then uh, just leave a review. And then lastly, we have great podcast for King fans at ZT Malden. 
who writes, I just started reading Stephen King's books last year, and I got just as hooked on this podcast as I am on the books. Always go directly to the podcast app to start listening as soon as I'm done with a book. There are sometimes spoilers that I have to skip parts uh, of an episode for, but that just means there's more reading that I need to do. So thank you so much, everyone, that uh, that wrote in. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I can't do it without you guys. And if you have a couple minutes uh, on your hands, a... Uh, an iTunes review uh, would be fantastic. Okay, so again, this episode is titled Big Announcement, so um, I'm going to get to the big announcement right now. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I have a uh, I have an email that I'm going to read from Jake. Jake writes, hi again. Sorry to get you late on this subject, but I had to send you an email. I really do agree with you for the most part on your list. 112263 is one of my absolute favorites. Definitely top five. So um, Jake is writing about my <clears throat> top 10 list that I created for the, um, as we rounded out 2019. The one thing that I have to speak up about though is Full Dark No Stars. It's not my favorite anthology, but one of them. I feel the same as you in the belief that there can't possibly be any truth or real past experience in a good marriage. I do believe that the lie of a good marriage was a way for King to greatly embellish on his drug oh yeah, on his drug and alcohol addiction. Maybe he had hid it from Tabitha for some time. I can't really say. Even if it's all fiction, Stephen King is just that great of a writer. He can make you question if something could be true. Anyway, thanks again for all of your insight. Best of luck in the new year. Okay, so again, sorry, I keep doing this. Uh there um, you know, for, for those of you who have been following me on social media, I've kind of been teasing that there is an announcement coming. And um, so the announcement is, oh, sorry, guys, I forgot that on top of the announcement, I was going to uh, discuss my, uh, my thoughts on The Outsider. So I reviewed, I think, episodes one through three of The Outsider, and then I just I fell behind because, like I said, my previous, my last review of The Outsider, there's really not much more that I can say aside from the fact that I really like it, but I really did want to take a couple moments, and spoiler alert for anyone that's not caught up on The Outsider, I, I just want to, you know, really go out of my way to, to, to just take the opportunity to say that it is consistently good. Um, and the, the time that we are spending in the, with, with the characters that we are spending that time with and the the structure and the distri distribution of where the story is being told is not exactly what I had expected it to be. If anything, I expected more time spent with Terry Maitland um, to give us uh, kind of a bigger shock uh, later on down the line when, when you know, what happens happens. Um, but instead, I mean, that, that was taken care of very, very quickly on in the story and there's a lot of time being spent with Holly, which is incredible uh the the casting of cynthia Rivo, uh she's just making this character her own um in the ways that that great actors have been able to conquer uh stephen king uh characters before in the past you usually it's it's the villain characters it's kathy bates as annie wilkes it's bill skarsgård as um pennywise um you know it's sissy spacek as as carrie um you know, uh, Jack Nicholson is, is Jack Torrance. Um, it, it's it's rarer for a uh, protagonist to be able to completely own a character. And um, nothing against Justine Lupo, uh, who who plays the the character over on Mr. Mercedes, but the the work there's just a radiance around this particular actress 
uh, who, you know, if you see her in other roles, uh, the choices that she's making here just really demonstrate the, the quality of performer that she is. And I could just watch, you know, right now it kind of has become the Holly Gibney show, uh, which I have no complaints. And if they wanted to spin off um, the further adventures of Holly Gibney, then I'm all for it. There, there's rumors that Stephen King is writing um, that the next book will be a Holly Gibney adventure. And I hope that if that is the case, then Richard Price and the creative team behind uh, The Outsider continue this with uh, Cynthia Arrivio because uh, she is phenomenal to watch. And the scene that I wanted to talk about was the uh, the quartet comes together scene. So for those of you who don't know what the quartet is, a quartet is a terminology within the world of Stephen King um, that was originated in the works of The Dark Tower that describes... Um, when non-family uh, sort of becomes that 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 tight family unit, and only when the quartet is together, it can overcome whatever the the obstacle is. So, um, you know, since spoiler alert for the outsider, but since the death of Terry Maitland, um, our our characters have been fractured, and each of them have been dealing with the aftermath in their own way. And a, a collection of them came together to hire Holly Gibney and Holly's been on her own and Ralph has been trying to make his way through this post-Terry Maitland world and uh, Glory has been grieving and Jeannie is trying to come to make sense of the things that she is seeing and the the, the, the law officials um, and officers of the law, they are trying to make sense of this uh, illogical case and then when holly brings them all together she presents an incredible monologue an incredible presentation her findings which to a room full of um men and women whose function in in life is is based upon evidence creating reality all of a sudden you have someone's coming in and that's who is presenting an alternative to the reality that they've understood their entire lives and then have dedicated themselves to pursuing um, as a mission in, in their lives in, uh, by pursuing law and order. And it is her, her presence and her argument is not dissimilar to what drove Stan, spoiler for it, to suicide because he was so affected by the presence of it as a child that the concept of this thing offended him spiritually to the point where he could not exist on this world anymore. And this is happening to our other characters. It's not it's not driving them to suicide, but it is shaking their belief system. And in the fallout of Holly's presentation, we see Ralph, who despite the, you know, if he is someone that that uses evidence to build truth, the evidence that he is seeing now, um, he is rejecting, despite the fact that it is is presenting a truth to him. It just so happens that it's a truth that um, does not and has not existed within his worldview previous. And what I like about this is that the time and the pace that it's giving to the characters and allowing the actors to really sit with these roles and allow Ben Mendelsohn to be 
the the doubting Thomas for as long as he is, especially when everyone around him is coming around to the truth because there is so much that they can't explain through real-world um, applicability or real-world logic. And it's, it's, it's pushing Ralph further outside. He is now becoming an outsider within his inner group. And what's... What's important here is that he is, going back to uh, Dark Tower terminology, he is the din of this particular group. He is the leader of this group, and, and the group cannot function or manage or take its step until he comes around. So I could watch 12 episodes of them just existing in this world where they, they have to acknowledge that the Boogeyman exists. Because if this was a two-hour movie or if this was your... You know, like just typical Stephen King story, um, and I'm not taking the onus off of Stephen King or the credit from Stephen King um, because this is his story. Richard Price is the one that's developing it, but this feels like the book. Um, it's just that Stephen King recalibrated his um, his the story beats for this particular story to really put the focus on the um, the representatives of law and order. Um, to, to really show what a Stephen King story would look like if it was occurring to men and women who operate um, with, with facts and building the truth from the facts. And I'm, I'm loving it. It's, it's such an incredible job. There's three episodes left. Uh, we're going to be heading into some supernatural, creepy territory very, very soon. Not that it hasn't been already, but now they have to face the reality that there's a supernatural creature out there. Um, and what do they do next? Love it. Okay, now it is time for me to talk about my big announcement. And the big announce... Oh, sorry, guys. Um, I, I have one more thing I want to talk about. Um, the Doctor Sleep director cut came out. Uh, Doctor Sleep is now out on Blu-ray. You, you can download it as well. But I'm, I'm a big fan of physical media. The, uh, the, the sound in the picture will always be better if it's just streaming. Not streaming, but if it's just playing off of, uh, you know, Blu-ray. Um, I don't have 4K. Um, I'm a little bit behind on that. But, I mean, I like streaming. I like the convenience, but I also like the uh, the actual physical media. So I got the, the director's cut, and over the last couple of days, I was able to watch it, and I was very curious to see w what the difference was. Um, Mike Flanagan, you know, kind of had teased that it was an all-new cut. You know, I mean, there's like a half an hour of included material in there. Um, so this is a spoiler alert, guys, for anyone uh, that hasn't seen uh, Dr. Sleep. I strongly recommend that you go out and, and get this. Um, and just watch the director's cut over the theatrical cut. Um, not because it presents a different movie. It is the same movie. It's just that um, what it does, it just it, it spends more time with the characters. So the, the first thing you might notice, actually, is that there are chapter titles now to break up the length um, and just uh, reorganize the, the, the sequences into manageable chunks. And uh, one of the things that Flanagan had said was that it was going to have more of a literary feel. And this definitely lends itself to that. Um, so that's the first thing that you notice. Um, but yeah, all of the, the story beats are function uh, the same and occur uh, the, the same. It's just that you get to spend more time with the characters. Most notably, I would say, um, there's more interaction. The, the scenes are lengthier between uh, Rose the Hat and Crow Daddy. And I say that I say that uh, Zane McLaren, I hope that I get that right. He gets more screen time uh, and more interaction with Rebecca Ferguson. 
and uh, and and just on, on his own. So we get to more. We get to know Crow Daddy a little bit more and his interactions and his role within the True Knot. And he's a he's an actor that is very magnetic in a very quiet and strong way. And he was perfectly cast as Crow Daddy. So I was very excited that there was more of him. And what I think that what he was able to bring to this this movie was a lot of empathy for the true knot. Uh, I mean, there's a great scene uh, that, that doesn't bring empathy, but there's a great scene that he has with um, Abra's dad where he's dismissing a- Abra's father. Uh, he's there to take Abra, and uh, he's not threatened by the father at all, even though the father is holding a knife. And he says something about uh, how it's it, he he never will get tired of rubes, uh, you know, thinking that they can uh, take on a god or something like that. It, it's a cool line, and he says that will be. He's very threatening. He says we're going to feed on your daughter for the rest of her life, um, and I wanted to pay compliments to the chef. It, it's a chilling sequence, and it's delivered so well and so quietly by. Uh, Zane McLaren and uh, I was just really happy to see that we got more of him uh, in in this cut. Um, and there's a beefier scene with Danny and the bartender, um, who spoiler for Doctor Sleep if you haven't seen it already. It's um, it's uh, it, it's his dad. It's Danny's dad, Jack. Uh, so th- this includes you know, and it's just it's a great sequence because it's the the emotional uh, climax of the movie. It's, it's the, it's the confrontation that's decades in the mating making. And it really allows Ewan McGregor to just give an, a, a strong performance here with the, the, the tears in his eyes. And he's talking to his dead dad and he's trying to fill his dead dad in on what has occurred. Um, in the aftermath of, yo, remember that time when you tried to kill me and mom? Like, let, <laughs> let me explain to you what has happened since then. Uh, it's a really good scene. It's loaded, and um, you know, is is this really Jack? Is it the Overlook taking Jack's face? Is it Jack um, playing a role? Is it Jack truly not under recognizing Danny and being confused because he's sold his soul and he's not entirely himself anymore? There's all these questions that are there, and it's present, and it's uh, really, really well done. And actually, the, this scene, this this beefier scene uh, that includes more content. Um, it includes an in-movie explanation for the fact that Ewan McGregor has different colored eyes than young Danny does, which in turn makes the final scene with Danny in the Overlook um, more emotionally resonant um, with, with Wendy. Um, and then there's also more foreshadowing of the conversation with Danny and Jack later on um, that occurs earlier. And we get more scenes with Abra's parents. So, I mean, all in all, it, it's the same movie. It just uh, provides a deeper look at our characters. Um, but again, I, I, the theatrical cut I was in love with, I was waiting for this movie to come out because as I was sitting in the movie theater, I said, I cannot wait for this to come out on Blu-ray. I bought the day that it came out on Blu-ray and I just really enjoyed watching it in the comforts of my, my living room. And again, that scene where uh, the, the astral projection battle between uh, Rose and Abra is... I'm just in awe of that scene. It's so cool. It's so well done. Um, so if you haven't seen Dr. Sleep, um, please listen to, go see it and listen to my review of Dr. Sleep the book and then my review of Dr. Sleep the movie. Um, but uh, I would strongly recommend the director's cut. 
Okay, uh, so with that out of the way, um, it is time to make my big announcement. Okay, guys, here we are. Um, you know, every week I have stated that, you know, it's one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the Chronological Order publication. And since I've done that, I have been, you know, struggling um, with, with how to revise that um, and come up with something else. And at the end of the day, I just need to accept that I've, ex I've completed that mission statement. So, guys, I am here to announce that the Stephen King cast is ending. Oh. Oh. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait. I'm, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. No, no. no. Let, let me try that again. I am, I'm here to announce that this makes more sense. I'm here to announce that from this point forward, I'm going to be examining Stephen King's endings, the endings of Stephen King's books, not, not that the Stephen King cast is ending. Wow. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to do that to you. No, let, let me explain. Okay, so let, let me just let me clarify for real. Um, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, and, and a couple things have happened recently. Um, I, well, first of all, well, let me just say, okay, so yeah, with, with Stephen King, there's been a couple things that have occurred recently that have been making me think about Stephen King endings more so than I normally have. Um, so if you haven't seen It Chapter 2, which came out back in uh, September of 2019, there's an ongoing running joke throughout the novel about the Bill Denbro character not being able to write a good ending for his books which you know andy muschietti i believe has said that it's, it's not a joke against stephen king it's just hard to disassociate yourself from that connection and i can't help but believe that it wasn't a dig at stephen king because there is something of a a running joke that he can't land his endings and i've been hearing that more and more um, especially in some circles with uh, The Outsider, of people that are enjoying The Outsider, some podcasts out there. And it's not a knock. This is, I'm not knocking anyone that's writing for The Outsider. It's just I, I've heard a lot of questions around whether or not Stephen, the, 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 Richard Price will be able to land this particular plane due to the belief that Stephen King can't finish his stories well. Um, and this combined just with our, our culture's fascination, uh, the focus of the importance on and the antagonistic approach towards endings of stories, it's made me want to really do something with, with endings. And we see this happen all the time with, with shows. I mean, not, not as much books. Um, like, don't get me wrong. When The Dark Tower first came out and I was um, less open to stories outside of what I wanted, um, I did not like the ending to The Dark Tower. Um, but for those of you who have been listening and have listened to all my reviews of The Dark Tower, you know that I think that it is a, it, it's a masterpiece and a bold ending. But uh, so... I. But but in terms of television shows, we, we see a fervor when something is concluding to the point where I don't know why anyone would actually want to make a television show, um, because if it is successful, you you are you are shooting yourself in the foot because there's there's no way you're going to come through the ending unscathed. Uh, the only one I can think of is uh, Vince Gilligan 
with Breaking Bad. Um, and he was able to deliver a couple endings. You know, he was able to, to, to give the, the climactic conclusion uh, with Ozymandias. Um, then he was able to give us a, a sort of falling action, quiet purgatory for, for Walt um, when he was in New Hampshire. And then he wrapped it all up with, uh, with you know, the, the final episode. Um, and then actually he, he, he was able to give a, a real epilogue um, with El Camino. Uh, but he, you know, Vince Gilligan is, is, is really good with endings because he is able to, to craft a, for lack of a better term, feel good or crowd pleasing, uh, conclusion that is consistent with the, with what has occurred leading up to it. Um, it is not, the, the events are not fan service, uh, to the, the point where it takes one out of the experience. It's not fan service for the sake of fan service, for instance. Um, there can be fan service moments, but it, he's able to uh, calibrate these moments in such a way that it feels honest and truthful to the characters um, rather than coming out of the blue. Um, so he's someone that definitely has been able to avoid the, the the vitriol that occurs to uh, Damon Lindelof, the, the poor guy who since, uh, you know, 2010 has, or whenever Lost ended, was just battered around for, for blowing Lost. Now, I'm not here necessarily to litigate Lost, but, you know, look at it besides whether or not it was something that you got what you wanted. You know, what what occurs, you have to ask yourself, what occurs in the conclusion of a show that... Um, that that speaks to resolving the dangling, not plot threads, because it's not always about plot, but themes, character arcs, character interactions, uh, conflicts. So if you take the the if you take the theme of man of science, man of faith, and there, there are dueling philosophies on this show, um, then Jack becomes the man of faith. Um, and also he becomes the hero that he never believed that he could be, and he was always overcompensating to be because of what his father had said as a child. It's the realization of the character that we first met back in the pilot. And yes, it doesn't resolve every mystery, but a lot of the mysteries actually had been resolved prior to that. Um, you know, and it's a show that was about life and finding oneself and, you know, they they get found in a sense at the end okay um on the flip side of things you have dexter where events occur that are not consistent with what the reality of the show had been um you have a police force that when confronted with the fact that their killer is one of them they basically let that killer go um our, our main character rides out into a hurricane and becomes a lumberjack in the end. And again, none of that is foreshadowed. None of it is true to the resolutions to who these characters had been presented as. It was an ending that ended because it needed to end, and it just didn't feel true to what the show was. It didn't feel it didn't feel consistently um, appropriate uh, for what the show was. Uh, you know, and of course we have, you know, Game of Thrones, which, you know, they were tasked with, um, you know, creating an ending, uh, without having the source material, uh, 
to to draw from. Um, you know, and it wasn't a perfect ending by any means, but I, I don't really have as many qualms with it. But that just might come down to personal choice. And by by the end, I was just I was very invested in the show emotionally speaking, and I was able to forgive. Um, you know, some some plot uh, misgivings or some inconsistencies. Um, I also acknowledge that the work, the, the production level and everything that was occurring within the show was operating at a level that we'll never truly see again. Um, you know, and of course we have Star Wars, but I'm not going to get into Star Wars. But okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, w- when people say, you know, it was a bad ending or I didn't like that ending, you know, what exactly are we talking about here? You know, how are we going to talk about the endings if I start discussing the endings? What, what part are we talking about? Are we talking about the last page? Are we talking about the last hundred pages? Are we talking about the thematic ending? Are we talking about the resolution of the story's characters? How, how do we move beyond the, the, the ending was good, the ending was bad, it was underwhelming, I liked it, I didn't like it. How do we start to move past these subjective declarations into a more focused examination that analyzes whether or not that the ending is presented um, whether or not it's, a, it's an appropriate conclusion for the preceding events. So I asked, I started to get some ideas uh, for some listeners when I posted back um, about a month ago um, on my Facebook page. I said, I have an idea for the future of the podcast and I need some help. What constitutes a good ending to a story? So I just needed to, to start to survey people um, just to get some ideas here. And then Bobby wrote, I think we place too much value on the idea of a quote-unquote good ending. Endings don't have to be definitive or overstuffed to be effective. A story should ideally end with a feeling of closure matched with some degree of open-ended possibility. The endings of Six Feet Under and Breaking Bad are my favorite examples of doing it right. Okay, that's a great way of looking at it. Jason wrote, A sense of closure and no majored unanswered questions, unless that's the point, but it's hard to pull off well. Basically not the Colorado Kid, the one King novel I have no desire to revisit and almost turned me off of Joyland because it had the same cover look and theme. Really glad I didn't pass on Joyland because it was terrific. This is a tough question. A good ending might not be the ending the viewer or reader wants, but it can still be a good ending. I'll be following this thread in the podcast closely. Okay. Then Lynn writes, uh, this is a tough question. Um, and replying to Jason, um, you provided an answer, and my reply here will not, uh, will not, but, uh, I'm sorry, this was uh, just a kind of response to Colorado Kid. Um, and then we have Jen, who writes, this is going to sound really nihilistic, but I've been thinking a lot about happy endings recently, and I don't just think that they exist. Everything ends, and every, everyone is going to die. Uh, so I don't think that anyone gets a happy ending, but we get happy moments, and I'd like to spend more time celebrating those. Sometimes stories end at a happy moment, and I leave the story feeling empowered and optimistic. And sometimes the story ends a little further down the road, and I leave it feeling like I'm not alone. It gives me a little bit of strength and courage to face my own struggles and unhappy moments. I think a good ending to a story is one that celebrates the happy moments and honors the characters we went on the journey with. Very, very deep examination of what endings are. And Manon writes, Let me try to see if I can put this into words. For me, the ending has to be justified, like the ending to a series that happens to be my favorite, Dark Tower. The ending makes perfect sense. I happen to love it, even though it isn't necessarily happy, nor does it provide closure. Um... 
Okay, then Lauren writes, anything that makes you think about it. Um, whatever, like George said, whatever makes you reflect on the journey. I finish so many books that as soon as I'm done, I open up a new one. A book or a scary that makes me chill a bit and not want to grab the next one immediately tells me that it was a good ending. Um, let's see. Uh, Pierre writes, I think a good ending is one that gives a conclusive statement on the themes. Um, <laughs> Joe says, and this is an inside joke, fire, set it all on fire. Um... Okay, so there's a lot of thoughts there. And then also, um, I asked, because this is based on what we've been seeing a lot out of, uh, you know, like I had touched upon um, with the, our, our pop culture, a question about endings. Does a storyteller have an obligation to please the audience with the conclusion of the story? Uh, George writes, no, if the story is to end on a good note, it's because of the journey. Same if it's bad or a bleak ending. You don't know what kind of ending life will throw at you. That would be the journey part. Um, it's what most of the focus is on the story. Kevin uh, writes in when he should be watching uh, John Mulaney and the Sad Sack uh, Lunch Bunch. But um, modern toxic fandom would say yes, but in reality, not at all. I look at Game of Thrones as a great example. Much of the backlash I encountered was warranted and centered on sloppy and rushed writing, but there was a significant portion of the backlash that essentially came down to what I wanted slash the cool fan theories I read didn't happen. So it's not good, and that's dangerous in my opinion. Very true. In the world of Reddit that we live in, where film Twitter um, has a mind of its own, a lot of the times we develop these theories that are outside of the content and then we spend so much time theorizing that when these things don't come to pass, there's a rejection of it. Um, so then, uh, let's see. And then Manan again writes, if a writer stays true to the craft and their artistic vision, I respect an author more if they take an unexpected ending. Then Gabe writes, no author has an obligation to do anything. With that said, while an ending doesn't have to be pleasing, it does have to make sense, be earned, and not feel like a deus ex machina. Uh, for example, Vertigo is a classic movie with a dark, tragic ending. The ending may not be pleasing, but it is satisfying and was earned. On the other hand, Game of Thrones is criticized for having a bad ending, not because it was viewed as not pleasing, but because it was viewed as bad writing and rushed character arcs and was seen by almost everyone as unsatisfying. The Tim Burton remake of Planet of the Apes has a nonsensical ending. So to answer the question, yes, the story has the right to end, um, the storyteller has a right to end a story in any way they want, but the audience also has the right to criticize what they view as bad storytelling whenever they see fit. So I think uh, that is a really good way of looking at it. And, and these two questions that I posed um, to, uh, to, to Facebook really helped shape how I'm going to examine uh, these the endings to each of Stephen King's works in the chronological order of publication. Um, so what I'm going to do, I am going to examine the climax, the falling action, the the falling action, and the resolution. Um, I'm going to identify identify the moments that occur and and where they fall on these three stages of the plot line, and then examine the events with the following guiding questions. Does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that are consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? Two, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? Three, 
Does the conclusion serve the theme, the symbolism, and motifs that were presented prior? I'm going to also, um, there's also sort of like a, a wild card X factor in there. Are there other factors that we need to consider when talking about the ending of this particular book? <clears throat> and from there, after examining that, I'm going to provide my answer on, two, on the two following questions. Do I like the ending? And is it a good ending? And at the end of each episode, I'm going to keep track on how many endings fall into the good endings, how many fall into the bad endings, how many uh, endings are the ones that I like, and how many are the ones that I don't like. So at the end of this experiment, we can see whether or not Stephen King deserves the reputation that he has for an ability, an inability to successfully conclude his stories. I'm very excited as we move on here. I've already begun the work, and we can expect uh, the the first episode of the new phase of the Stephen King cast to launch uh, early next week as I examine the uh, the conclusion, the climax, the falling action, and the resolution to carry um, and kick off the the new phase of the Stephen King cast with the book that started it all. But I can't do this by myself. I need your help. This is going to be a highly interactive podcast moving forward. At the beginning of each episode, I want to share your thoughts on the ending of the book that I'm going to be discussing that week, which brings us to next week's episode. So I need your thoughts on the ending of Carrie. So what I want you to do, please write in and share your thoughts on Carrie's ending. What strikes you about how effectively King concludes his first published book? So what I want you to do is write into stephenkingcast at yahoo.com with the subject heading Carrie Ending. Similarly, I want to get ahead of things, so if you have thoughts on the ending of Salem's Lot, please write in stephenkingcast at yahoo.com with the subject heading of Salem's Lot Ending. Each episode, I'm going to begin with your thoughts on the ending of that particular book before moving into my own. I've been thinking about this endeavor for a while now, guys, and I'm excited to undertake this particular challenge. And I look forward to taking it with all of you. Ka is a wheel. And here we go again. It's a very Sisyphean task. uh, Starting at the bottom and moving back up the mountain. But um, I have a feeling that it's it's a task that I'm going to be enjoying doing um, with my larger Ka tet to to help keep me company. Okay, guys. So here we go. Uh, The next time you hear me, it will be uh, at the beginning of phase two of the Stephen King cast, or phase three, uh, whatever it is, the the next phase. I'm very excited. Um, So I will, uh, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. This is the end. Beautiful friend This is the end My own